Hello and welcome to the Psychomedia Podcast. I am Timothy Swan. And I am Ben Fell, and together we will be discussing the funny side of psychology. Now, friends, Romans, countrymen, we have an announcement to make. It's very, very sad. Oh yes, I was going to press a sound effect for this. <laughs> but it doesn't appear to be working. It was going to be the distant no. tolling of it a is sad working. church bell. Oh, it is working. Fascinating. Well, anyway... Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow, I've spoiled really the gravitas, Ben. Now, Ben, I've heard a rumour that you might actually have to do some work this term. Now, I, I don't wish to alarm anyone. I don't want to cause mass panic. But it turns out that nearly two years into your defil is roughly the time when you actually have to start working. Well, so, uh... This is this is bad news for me, and it's bad news for America. And by America, I, of course, mean the listeners to the Psychomedia podcast. Right. Um, yeah, basically. What it means, practically, is that we're going to be moving to a fortnightly basis. Originally, we were going to move to a bi-weekly basis, but bi-weekly is one of those ambiguous words. You know, <laughs> like bi- bi- and, was, uh, and, uh, biathlon and bisexual. LGBTQ magazine. Anyway, um, yeah, but we're going fortnightly uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, yeah, uh, and see how that works. You do know that the the f- future is in no way foreseeable at all. It's one of yes. those interesting phrases. Good. So yeah, <laughs> we're going to do it until Ben doesn't want to do it anymore, uh, <laughs> as it were. But um, don't worry, guys. I'll be using the extra time I have to like finish my novel or something. Uh, do more podcasts probably well that's what i thought that's what i thought but then i was like ah uh, can i really be bothered <laughs> <laughs> yeah the the tricky i think is that we you know when we started psychomedia we weren't very even tim who'd had some podcasting experience he hadn't got that much podcasting experience we didn't really understand the medium what we've subsequently learned is that the optimal podcast is one which requires absolutely zero preparation whatsoever yeah. Um, which is something which we've unfortunately not been able to do. Uh, but we're not like going to totally rebrand yet. No. Because you know? I mean, one day it a... might be that we end up doing a show together that isn't about psychology and doesn't require any prep. <laughs> but I don't think it would stand out the way that Psychomedia does. No. I mean, I'm not sure if it's specifically those qualities that make Psychomedia stand out. Uh, but yes. What do you On... think are the qualities? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh... <laughs> the, the the podcast with the most number of animals featured on a regular basis <laughs> pretty I much assume. yeah yeah um anyway anyway that's that's the little bit of housekeeping um we will hopefully this will mean that we will be providing you with uh less quantity but more quality psychomedia uh given that we'll have more time to prepare and be kind of less jaded and worn down by the constant stream of trying to be funny yeah yeah in practice it probably means that we'll do exactly the same amount of prep and leave it just as late but just less often but you know we'll see (laughs) carry on having functioning lives for a given definition of functioning and lives you know (laughs) we may be dedicated to this show but we're not dedicated enough to throw our lives away for it well ben isn't anyway (laughs) 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 ah so one of the things that makes this show special is you, the listeners. Um, <laughs> Get a run, without you, we couldn't do this show. Oh, no, I'm thinking of archive.org. Without archive.org, we couldn't do this show. <laughs> if, if we had zero listeners, I'm not entirely convinced that we wouldn't stop. I, I listen to the show. <laughs> <laughs> and I listen to it on a sufficient lag that I find it funny because I've forgotten all the things that happen. I mean, don't listen to Ben's bits anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> wow. As in when you're doing them, when you're doing them. I find it very hard to focus on you saying. Oh, yeah. No, I, I can't. I mean, I don't listen to myself when I'm speaking. So I don't know what any, why anyone would expect that I would listen to you when you're speaking. <laughs> well, that's true. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so feedback. Listeners, 
Uh, Sam sent in some feedback on our Shoes Clues episode. Uh, regarding the proper level of substance abuse at a baby shower, I don't remember that topic. Perfect, perfect email headline. <laughs> uh, my criminal law class last semester looked at a case in which the police found a guy passed out in an apartment and under a pile of drugs and guns. Who puts guns on top of a sleeping guy? <laughs> well, John- it's, you know, lay one junkie, uh, garnish lightly with... Uh drugs and seasoned with firearms to taste well yeah um i can't make any jokes that are not insensitive in the current climate um they charged him with possession and his defense was that he was too drunk from a baby shower earlier that day to know how he got to the apartment and that someone must have piled on the illegal items while he was sleeping and the court accepted the defense because possession requires knowing you have the thing as well as having had the opportunity to divest yourself of it but choosing not to from the perspective of a law as a tool for incentivizing socially desirable behavior, it would seem that most baby showers are well below the ex- appropriate level of substance abuse. <laughs> so that story makes me think of two things. Firstly, the thing about having uh, appropriate opportunity to divest, divest yourself of the um, contraband in question reminds me of the Viking law about if you murder someone... You have to tell someone, if it's in self-defense, you have to tell someone about it um, immediately. The first person you meet, you have to tell that you killed someone in self-defense. However, if the first person you meet is someone from the family of the deceased, you are allowed to pass two houses before telling someone. So you have time to find a house that doesn't belong to a family member of the deceased that you can tell that you killed in self-defense. I love how the laws of a people can reflect their kind of cultural personality. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it was like, the... murder, probably fine. Just don't be a coward about it. Come on. <laughs> yeah, be honest about it. Jeez. Uh, the other thing that it makes me think of is, I don't think I told this story on uh, any of the recent podcasts. A friend of mine who uh, recently was telling me that after a night out in London, uh, he woke up at 6am the next morning uh, lying spread-eagled flat on his back on the floor of the northern line uh, with no idea of how he got there, being nudged by the boot of someone in a high-visibility jacket ne- telling him he needed to get off because they were trying to do engineering works on that train. <laughs> They've seen it all, those uh, TFM employees, <laughs> haven't they? They have seen it all. It does remind me of a story so- of um, someone who in high school, uh, so, you know, illegal drinking story, um, I don't have many illegal drinking stories, but uh, one of my friends in high school, very interesting character. Anyway, she um, said, uh, yeah, I can't ever have gin. I'm like, what, gin especially? She's like, yeah, just gin. The rest of the drink I can handle. The last time I took gin, I woke up in Wolverhampton. I had no idea how I got there. And more importantly, I had no idea why I got there. I was like, yeah, I mean, avoid gin. I think, I, I think a lot of people that wake up in Wolverhampton experience a similar Yes, let's hope none of our listeners live in Wolverhampton, who maybe we might have horribly offended. Wolverhampton. And if they do, let's hope them a speedy exit. (laughs) I have nothing against Wolverhampton. I know nothing about Wolverhampton. Wolverhampton has a theatre where I saw West Side Story once. It's the home of two thirds of Pappies, one of my favourite sketch groups. Uh It's probably lovely then. It has the only Midlands football team that I haven't been to see a match of, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Okay. Uh, Um, Okay, and finally, finally... Sorry, Wolverhampton. (laughs) Sam, I was kind of hoping that all or part of the run of shoe puns would be performed in a brogue. (laughs) See, now brogues were on the list of shoes that I was using for reference for that pun run, but I couldn't work out a way of fitting it in, um, of shoehorning it in, one might say. Oh... uh, (laughs) Uh, but thank you for that addition. So uh, what we're thinking about bad puns. Ben, <laughs> what's your feedback? Ah, <laughs> oh, my feedback. My feedback this week is from Charles in response to our uh, request for Game of Thrones X psychology jokes. Oh, uh, I should entitled, send this over to Jan, shouldn't I, really? <laughs> entitled Cringeworthy Game of Thrones psychology jokes. I won't read all of them. You should go. It was, it was on the WordPress, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. Go to the WordPress. So you should go over to the WordPress and have a look. Uh, my two favorite, in fact, both of our two favorite ones, I think, were What did Michal Chitsent Mahai say to the Night's Watch? You flow nothing, Jon Snow, which I quite like. I yes. mean, you could equally have had you know nothing, Jon Flow, but I think flow nothing. <laughs> uh, 
and fair, uh, when chick sent mahi is speaking it's just you flow 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 <laughs> uh when he's speaking to uh never mind uh what did martin uh, and the next one uh which i like a lot is what did martin fishbein call his collaborative research projects uh a song of Asian, Asian, and fire is that? Asian, I've usually said, but song of Asian and fire. I've heard before, which confuses me. So uh, I think that one is good, but I think I can improve on that one. Of course, uh, you do. Uh, what did Psychomedia call their collaborative research projects? A song of mice and squire. <laughs> yeah, that is quite nice. Um, I mean, I we th- have, of course, th- mentioned in the past that there is both a house swan and a house fell in Game of Thrones, so we're pretty <laughs> yep. attuned. George R. R. Maybe we should get George R. R. Martin as a guest. He's not busy, is he? Um, he probably. You know, I could, I could almost certainly get an actor from the TV show as a guest. My oh, yes, jobbing, you and your connections. Well, you, you know all sorts of people. My jobbing actor friend, Sean, who is going to be in an upcoming episode of the third season. Um, but, is he going to uh, die? Do you, uh, yes, yes, absolutely. Oh, that's uh, exciting. It I mean, is. He has lines and he's going to die. It's wonderful. I love um, all of my friends dearly, but none of them have died in Game of Thrones. <laughs> you know? So, uh, you know, I mean, the only... Peter Males, you know all sorts of people. Left with only... your buddies, man. Slight downside is that I'm not sure Sean knows anything about psychology, but, you know, that hasn't stopped us in the past. We will do an interview <laughs> episode where we come up with psychology related to his artistic field and shoehorn it in. That, that could possibly work. Um, anyway, anyway, uh, moving on from uh, feedback. Thank you for the feedback. Keep it flowing in. Uh, what have you done this week, Tim? Um, so this week, I've had like a pretty good work week. Um, and I know that I can't really talk that much about work because of confidentiality. But... Uh, I don't think this is breaking any ethical rules to say that part of my job this week was to go to the Sea Life Centre in Birmingham, the National Sea Life Centre. The good one. It has hammerhead sharks. I have literally wow. underneath a hammerhead shark swimming about in the underwater tunnel bit. Um, well, you shouldn't have been swimming about in the underwater tunnel bit, then, <laughs> should you? Uh, but yeah, so I, I mean, we kind of we we rushed about a little. bit. I love the idea that time. If, if you swam up to a hammerhead shark. Both of you would be thinking, geez, that guy looks weird. <laughs> uh, it's so it's so true. So, yeah, I've seen all sorts of uh, sharks, obviously. Sharks, very controversial for anyone connected with Oxford University at the minute. Um, hmm. I'm sure you've heard about Shark Gate. Um, Is it anything to do about with, it. with sharking? No, no. Uh, Somerville slash Jesus Ball... Uh, combining <laughs> the College of the Purest Good, Jesus, with the College of the Purest Evil, Somerville, uh, home of Margaret Thatcher. Um, they're doing a ball together. In order to do a one-upmanship on uh, St. Hilda's Ball having a live horse, which doesn't seem that remarkable, they were going to have a live shark, but people have complained and also said it has shown the decadence of Oxford University. Well, I saw well, some okay. sharks where they belong, in a museum um, filled with screaming schoolchildren. On a on a on the subject of that, like okay, live horse, not that out of the ordinary. Everyone likes horses. Hortings, horses are at petting zoos. That would be kind of cool. I feel like the size of shark that you could legitimately take to a college ball would not be big enough that it would be worth the effort. I think it was a nurse shark. I don't know how big those are. But also, there was a union ball during our time at Oxford where they had live penguins in a cage guarded by a bouncer. Wow, I do not remember that. Sadly, I did not go to this ball. And even more sadly, no one managed to slip past the bouncer and escape with a penguin. But uh, yeah, so I mean, that sharks and horses got nothing on penguins, man. Well, I think it's just because of the whole Thatcher death incident. uh, People are just watching for any news from Somerville College at the minute. Um, so right. if you want to get famous, then just go and pretend <laughs> the whole some of Thatcher death incident. Um, <laughs> incidentally, during my time at Oxford, I did create a nickname for the summer because summer villains that's the name but of course i insisted they should be called them call themselves summer villains and a lot well, of the people at somerville took this on board because everyone wants to be <laughs> the kind of cool villain um you know and uh i think that we should see this article as proof that the summer villains remain villainous <laughs> but cool. uh yeah uh, i've seen i've seen sharks in an appropriate environment and snake right so snake necked turtles that's what i wanted to mention Right. It does exactly what it says on the tin, but I did not know 
they existed and they are huh. weird. <laughs> they are. It's true. Uh, so, uh, Ben, thinking of mysterious and dangerous creatures, what have you done this week? <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. It's more Dungeons and I'm sorry, guys. It's more Dungeons and Dragons. Miraculously, we managed to get another session in this week. But Stunning. this week, with an exciting twist, we had new players. Uh, hey, hey, Ben, you know what else we had? We had a woman playing. I know, right? And like an actual one, as opposed to you pretending <laughs> to be one. Uh, and not only did we have extra players, not only did we have an actual real woman playing, but the actual real woman that we had playing was my girlfriend, which was very exciting. Um, she uh, so no, she is this week. She's done a very good line in uh, con- joining in and contributing to my stupid nerdy hobbies, uh, as you will see later in the show. Yeah. <laughs> Um, because uh, you don't listen to the show, Ben, I did actually include the sound clip of her saying "shut up, Tim" in a previous episode. <laughs> oh, brilliant! I'm glad to hear that. Um, but this this is more of a conscious contribution, shall we say? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that makes it sound so wrong and terrible. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, the D and D campaign, which has now been dubbed "Carry On Up the Shadow Fell." <laughs> uh, oh. it, Last time, you may recall, involved all bar one of the party being bleeding and unconscious in the clutches of evil goblins and being dragged off into the caves. This time, the one remaining member managed to escape and uh, enlist the services of our two new players, including my girlfriend, who is playing the uh, human, a uh, kind of Russian ranger, human ranger, who speaks like this and drinks a lot of vodka, um, uh, which was awesome. And they uh, together managed to break into the goblins' uh, stronghold by following the tunnels and free the prisoners. And Tim did absolutely almost nothing for the entire Hey, session. shut up. I did two things. And I was you conscious managed- of this. We were playing for, what, like four hours? No, three and a half hours. And I did two things. You're lucky you I'm did. a patient man, Ben. I completed a lot of levels of lasers on my uh, Android tablet. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry about that. No, um, that is fine. Did- it was justified. And you did provided- manage to convince a goblin that you were on its side whilst you were in the prison that it had imprisoned you in for killing its friends. <laughs> yep. And then hit it three times in succession with a mace without it being able to attack me. Um, <laughs> so um, just that was so I felt I felt bad about that, you know, being a kind of vaguely good, probably... Mm-hmm. on balance chaotic good character <laughs> not deliberately chaotic just kind of that's the way it turns out can but it I... really be deliberately chaotic surely that doesn't work as a concept <laughs> yeah i guess um anyway i i, I really well. enjoyed it yeah they did they did very well and the new players also they took to it like ducks to d20s they did yeah, very well yeah no they were very impressive in understanding what was going on in a coherent fashion i was bemused mm. by that um but pleased yeah. So uh, that's what I did. Um... Do you have a media of the week this week, Tim? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, so uh, one of my favourite bands, Emmanuel, uh, who I've seen uh, in this country uh, in a tiny concert, but it was nice to see them and meet the band afterwards. They are re-recording their debut album because apparently that's a thing that you can just do. It's like, right, well, we like these songs. Let's do them again. Um, and the first track has been uh, released from it. Um, they are a kind of, it's sort of a CROs kind of sound, Scandinavian dream pop post-rock thing with kind of, I guess, vaguely spiritual kind of lyrics going on, you know, ethereal stuff and kind of harmonized male vocals, but sort of falsetto. So if you like uh, the work of uh, John C, uh, then you should definitely give these guys a bit of a try. Um because I think they're really good. Um, and they're very calming. I do find them an immensely calming fan. <laughs> In the, like, I think that's a positive thing. Some people see that as a negative, but I see as, they're kind of uplifting, but not in a energizing way so much as a peace way. Okay. Uh, sorry, I laugh because of the marked contrast with my media of the week. Well, you know, we've got to have some kind of frisson of difference in personality. <laughs> Uh, to make the show work haven't we so uh but that's all i want to say apart from listen to the track uh look out for them look out for their other music um because i think they're really 
good. And they're a band I discovered via MySpace back when that was a thing. And I still haven't really succeeded in my uh, ambition to find a new band to really get into this year. So if anyone has any suggestions based on my kind of woolly description of, let's see, cryptic spiritual lyrics or post-rock or kind of sound like they're Scandinavian... um, I'm pretty sure yeah, I posted yeah. something on your wall that fulfilled that most of those Oh, yes. Criteria. No, I did. I did. But I clearly didn't kind of fall in love with them. But maybe that's because I have so much music around now that that's an issue. Anything that's streamable is almost a problem because mm. you can't express a sort of devotion to it. I um, discovered a new band this uh, this year, which is, hasn't happened for a while. They're called Kvelertak. And they combine like norwegian black metal with like rock and roll and sort of acdc and black sabbath combination and they and they it's it works so well they are incredible um anyway that's a little aside if you like if you fall into the ben category of music preferences then go try out kvel attack they are awesome uh but that is not my media of the week my media of the week as i said could not be more contrasting with a uh, uplifting post-pop band called Emmanuel. It is the game Surgeon Simulator 2013, <laughs> <laughs> which uh, I so that I, I watch quite a lot of gameplay videos on YouTube, um, and one of the absolute best ways of getting a game sales up is to play it badly on YouTube, because then everyone watching rages at the fact that you're bad at playing it and feels the need to buy the game in order to prove to themselves that they are better than you at playing that game. And this That's is exactly this is exactly what happened to me with Surgeon Simulator. So the principle of the game is that you are a surgeon and the means by which you interact with the game is through a single arm which you control uh, you kind of control its horizontal movement by moving the mouse. You control its vertical up and down movement with uh, by clicking the mouse button. You can rotate it uh, by holding down the right mouse button and moving the mouse. So you can kind of twist sideways and flap it up and down. And then you control each of the fingers and thumb with four the Q, W, E and R keys on the keyboard and the thumb with the space bar. And that allows you to grip things inexpertly. Right. And then what you are presented with is an open chest cavity and an assortment of surgical tools, uh, all of which are physics modeled. And your job is to successfully remove and replace various organs. And it is a mess, an absolute mess and a really kind of enjoyably macabre experience because it's not about accurately replicating surgery the the win condition for say a heart transplant is to is just to get the replacement heart somewhere in the chest cavity (laughs) so what this involves is the first process of any operation in surgeon simulator is usually you take a hammer and then you smash all the ribs and then you remove the bits of broken ribs and then you get some scalpels or saws or a laser and try and cut out all the extraneous organs like lungs and kidneys and livers and stuff and then you remove the organ that needs to come out and drop the replacement one in and the uh, mechanic that you're fighting against is blood loss so the, part, uh, the patient has a certain amount of blood and loses That's it at accurate. a cer- certain rate, depending on how much you've slashed and cut and missed things that you were trying to cut. Uh, and if the patient runs out of blood, it dies. But if it doesn't run out of blood, then it is absolutely fine, <laughs> despite not having any of its major organs. So, yeah, it's, it's a really stupid but also very fun game that I highly recommend you trying out. One of the operations is a brain transplant. Um which I feel that we should perhaps like co-commentate on <laughs> and do like a gameplay session of because it seems suitably psychological. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, uh, so yeah, go that's, play that's, Surgeon Simulator that's 2013. That's going to make you uh, healthy, perhaps or perhaps not. And health uh, is perhaps a factor in happiness. Ben, we didn't do the thing. How rigidly did we plan this episode? <laughs> <laughs> How rigidly did you plan this episode, Tim? Don't drag me into this. You're the one who insisted like a week ago that we tell people the topic and then... That was on. a week ago. <laughs> the topic this week is happiness. Um, which, yeah, anyway. Um, health might be <laughs> included in that. So uh, I'm going to start with a very general 
bit on factors in happiness. Uh, it's a book chapter, so we can definitely be sure that everything in it is completely true. Um, by Argyle from 2003, The Causes and Correlates of Happiness. Um, so, it should give us a good overview of the area. Now, Argyle wants to tell us all the things that make us happy, because there is tons of research. Thousands of people have been asked what makes them happy. And if they are British, they'll have answered, oh, fine, mustn't grumble, could be worse. So We'll actually find out exactly what they will have responded soon, but uh, yes. that comes in my section. Yes, I can only tell you about Britain, stiff upper lip, and uh, Ben will tell you the actual scientific detail. Uh, so first, well, <laughs> actual <laughs> scientific detail i did i will make quotes. reference to it but i won't tell you <laughs> uh so yeah demographic variables and the key warning in this area that i think again ben may mention maybe uh, is that everything is correlational and because like aristotle says i think bees are like made of fire dude these mushrooms are great let's blow off the lyceum and hang out dude <laughs> wrong these Arist bees are like made of fire oh it's technically bees are born out of fire's they're born they're like made of smoke or something. Anyway, it's the wrong Aristotle quote. The actual Aristotle quote is... <laughs> you know that... Have you read that book, A Bee of Smoke and Bone? A <laughs> <laughs> uh, song like... of ice and bees. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing that can make Westeros more terrible for its people. The dance with bees. <laughs> um, so there is a, a big fantasy work about, like, insect-inspired humans. Anyway, um, so... Uh, Aristotle did say, "Humans slaves swallow. in an insect nation." Oh. Oh. One swallow does not a summer make, nor one fine day. Similarly, one day or brief time of happiness does not make a person entirely happy. It's hard, therefore, to manipulate happiness or well-being experimentally, as opposed to positive affect, which is, I guess, what we psychologists tend to call the temporary state. So. Mm age the happiest days of our lives i am of course talking about retirement the older <laughs> you get the slightly happier you are older people are more satisfied with their lives they feel more autonomous they are more satisfied with their jobs however this effect this effect <laughs> this effect guys uh, however this effect <laughs> is more pronounced for men than for women and women may grow less happy uh, i'm only including in this uh, review uh research that does not have mixed results because they report a lot of stuff that's like maybe this but also this contradictory stuff so yeah. i don't know let's just leave that out uh, and this is because there is enough info going on in this article without including the inconclusive stuff so hmm. it kind of goes against a lot of the ideas of happiness older people are less healthy they're less wealthy and they're less melty uh melty <laughs> is a new word i've invented for being married so it rhymes um <laughs> pass it on uh, the suggestion... Do you, Timothy Swan, take this woman to be your lawful wedded wealth? <laughs> Melf, sorry. Hey, Sounds who said wrong, I was going to marry a Melf, Ben? <laughs> Do any of you have any just cause or impediment why these two people should not be joined in holy melf tremeny? <laughs> uh, um, We're going to a Melfing in, um, a, couple of, mother, in a week, can't we? Anyone would like to... Um, anyway. <laughs> The suggestion of why older people are happier is due to aspirations in that they've kind of reached some of them by that point, being better adjusted to the world and religiosity and other factors. Education. Now, Ben, let me ask you an important question. Did Oxford make you happy, Ben? Or does it? <laughs> yeah, probably on balance. Oh, that's nice, because for me, I think it is a bit of both. It was kind of both amazing and terrible all at the same time. <laughs> there were both lots of great things and lots of just like why things anyway it's education life, tends to increase positive affect more than reduce negative affect it differs by nation however um and i will jump in with a quote there's not much quotation in this uh the effect of education is weakest in the united states and it has become <laughs> weaker over time now is that on <laughs> happiness or in general boom satire Woo! Now, in general, the poorer the country, the happier education makes you. Analysis Presumably goes. because of like a, there's more happiness to induce or like there's more the, ed, the difference between the sorry. Let me I, I, I know what you take mean. a run of this. There is more lack of education for a small amount of education to like 
resolve, to deal with, to improve upon. That uh, is an interesting theory. They reckon it's because education improves occupation and in poorer countries, having a better occupation makes a more substantial difference. Uh, yeah. And they note that if you have low income, a low status occupation, but high education, you get deeply unhappy. And I'm not saying I'm a case study, but <laughs> uh, anyway, another way it might work is by broadening people's interests so that, for example, they can enjoy scientific comedy or Internet media. <laughs> Next class. My favorite topic. Uh, class. They say that in British studies, this is judged by occupation. <laughs> that was alone. a joke on a number of levels. <laughs> I know, I know, it was great. Um, um, so, yeah, I th they claim it was judged by occupation alone. I think years of persistent unemployment maybe have ruined that metric. I think it's a much more intuitive, intangible thing, and also genetic in the cases of the upper classes. So it's a very complex issue that mixes education, income, occupation, upbringing, and there's all sorts of prejudices and kind of self-weirdness going on with defining it. The Americans apparently include more factors. So who's obsessed with class now? Uh, so class <laughs> does have some correlation with happiness, even after occupation is accounted for. Uh, class does have some correlation with happiness, even after accountants are occupied. It does vary worldwide and is more potent in more economically unequal countries. Now, self-perception, rather than so-called objective assessment of class, is a far more potent measure. Which is weird, because I thought most middle-class people hated themselves. Apparently, <laughs> middle-class people get their increased happiness from having broader leisure activities. And the rather classist explanation in this article states, working-class people just watch more television. <laughs> I don't think I want to get into all the other reasons why middle-class people are supposedly happier. It may be true, but it's certainly all rather horrible. Money. Money can't buy you happiness, except it can. Yes, there <laughs> is a cut-off point where it stops making a difference, but up to that point, mo' money, most subjective ratings of happiness and positive affect. Uh, we will deal with this later as well. There is, good. there is interesting things around that. Yes, well, I think being able to afford both necessities and nice things helps, but once you reach the <laughs> point of ludicrous wealth, like 442000 a year or something, it's about buying stupid things. Um, so, oh, yeah. yeah. They then write, okay, so I am quoting again, but it's mostly the classist stuff. There is a problem with the happy poor. Now, Argyle does come across a bit patronising. What he means is that people who are poor and happy doesn't fit the rest of the research. And he blames learned helplessness. But an obvious problem with trying to do a book chapter where you explain all happiness for everyone is individual differences. The hmm. closest that Argyle gets to acknowledging individual differences is different nations are different. But that is as deep as he lets it get. For within subject takes on this, uh, pay rises or pay cuts or other changes that lead to similar income differences seem to affect happiness in the expected directions. However, the effect is usually small. Similarly, winning the lottery does not massively spike happiness. Hmm. One British study found that the negative social and employment factors completely negated the effect of the money. And the more materialistic one is, the less happy one is. So some... I Sorry, go on. No, go ahead, because I'm starting a new paragraph about relative income. Okay, so the thing that I, I was slightly surprised by is he mentions, he, he doesn't really mention individual differences. He does mention learned helplessness, which first emerged in social psychology, as far as I know, as an explanation for depression. Yes. So quite how he could miss out on the concept that some people maybe have an intrinsically different evaluation system for positive versus negative stimuli and kind of treat stuff which normally affects their levels of happiness differently seems kind of strange given that he clearly knows what learned helplessness is well maybe or maybe not saying that they've because i don't think someone who is learned helpless could be considered happy Whereas he's saying someone who is happy, despite the fact that their situation is kind of objectively bad, must have learned helplessness because they know things can't get any better. It's like knowing things can't get any better is not happiness. It's a theory of why people suffer from depression. Yeah. So anyway, it's a bit of an odd thing. So, yeah, some explain the money findings by proposing relative income as more important than absolute income after a living wage has been reached. It does tend to have a stronger effect, but it does depend on who you're comparing yourself to. And this, in general, falls under the umbrella of goal achievement gaps. The gaps between your goals and achievements. Hey, it might not have been as obvious as that. Sometimes it isn't in psychology. 
Anyway, <laughs> the more equal the incomes of a nation, the better its collective average happiness. So that is the more positive spin on the relative income thing is while it might make individuals happier, being more equal overall is best for the nation's happiness. Marriage. So marriage <laughs> is the key to happiness. So shut up, it really is. jokes. Cohabiting <laughs> is also good for happiness, but not as good as marriage, Ben. Uh, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this coming from the guy who last week told me he would never live with anyone ever. <laughs> hey, I didn't claim I ever planned to be happy. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Obviously, satisfaction with marriage increases overall happiness. Yes, slightly for more for women, but only slightly more. I know it's cliche to hate t-shirts, but I do. Anyway, um, <laughs> the honeymoon and when the children leave the nest are the best times for married happiness. Children oh, yeah. do not really improve happiness. But if you must, have two to three. That's the best for happiness. Marriage is the best source of social support. Uh, and social support is another very key thing for happiness, really. Married people have better health behaviours. They look after each other and they listen to each other. Um, other social supports do provide companionship, material support and emotional support in various ratios. So they do look at ethnicity most of which doesn't survive accounting for other variables thanks to systemic racism. Although, mm. black children tend to have higher self-esteem. And then at this point, Argyle sort of subtly endorses segregation based on this due to findings that black children in only black schools in America have higher self-esteem because they haven't come into contact with white people. Wow. I'm not sure whether he is saying that. And as this <laughs> area requires sensitivity, I'm just going to jump off. So it's just like a weird quirk. <laughs> Black children tend to have higher self-esteem. Jobs. People like jobs, which is shocking to me. Um, employment relates to self-esteem, preventing boredom, really? Um, various forms of satisfaction. The Depends ill effects the of unemployment are worse when overall employment is higher. And these effects do remain even after income is accounted for. Retired people, however, are even happier. However, they can fall prey to boredom. And this can obviously be negated by taking part in activities. We really are doing the very basics in this chapter. Obviously, the mm. more involved one is in one's work, the more potent its impact on in happiness in either direction. Leisure. In most countries, non-work factors are, significant, are more significant to happiness than work factors, apart from Japan. Uh, there's a certain stereotype of hard work in Japan, although I've never heard it stereotyped with being happy at the same time. Uh, sports are good because they involve exercise. Group things of any sort are good because they are social. And then they reference Mahi, which is good. Uh, can you guess what he says? Uh, is it something about flow? He says flow makes you happy. <laughs> but by contrast... <laughs> that is undeniably true. By contrast, the most popular activity for leisure is TV, which is a non-flow activity. Heavy TV <laughs> watchers are less happy, apparently because they have nothing better to do, and that's sad. Also, TV is described by Mahi as... A, Somewhere between being awake and asleep. But that was before The Wire came out, to be fair. <laughs> so holidays also make people happy, as does voluntary work. But it's suggested that it's really key to other factors. Because middle class people do broader leisure, as do the better educated. Rich people have more time and resources for leisure. And increasing the leisure of the unemployed increases their happiness. Now... Religiosity also increases happiness, and as we always mention when religion comes up, those who actually mean it do better from it. So church attendance and religious satisfaction increase happiness, as does religious experience, you know, like kind of supernatural experiences, uh, in a way that apparently ESP, or talking to the dead through a medium, doesn't. Which to me seem like a bit of an odd comparison, but maybe that's coming from a religious background where you're like, hey, I'm normal, those guys are freaks. Um, social support from church membership, a big factor. Less big churches showed a great uh, impact, perhaps because they were more closely knit, but the wording is unclear whether they mean churches in terms of kind of communities or the denominations, because mm. they do mention the Pentecostal church, which I guess ties back into the religious experiences as it's more common in the Pentecostal church. Life events. The key life events that people value for happiness are seeing friends, eating, drinking, sex and success. And so successfully drinking vodka jellies off a friend's back as part of her sex. I was going to add act, but I quite like the indefinite article in that sentence. Is thus like the key the, to happiness. I like that you say off of their back. Like, traditionally, it's the back is not the first source of the sexy eating or drinking location. But I'm, you know, Look, that's I tried to. I tried very hard to picture an orgy with my friends <laughs> drinking vodka jellies. And the most this... obvious place for them was the back. Yeah. Brilliant. 
I don't know what. Well, I guess we can imply certain things. Let's not. Let's just let the audience say for themselves. We can infer certain things. I learned about the distinction between imply and infer today. Hooray! Um, look, I'm never going to drink jellies because I hate jelly. The... Jelly is disgusting. It's wrong. And that's the only reason why that scenario will never take place. Um, I learned today that infer means to suggest uh, or um, state indirectly, whereas infer means wearing a jacket made from beaver. Uh, um, so thinking of beavers, they do mention nature, which I'll cover in more detail later. I thought you were going to talk about sex some more. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. So the big life events are usually too complex to be said to increase happiness, barring apparently falling in love. So getting, getting towards the end here. Competencies. Intelligence does not make you happy, uh, but yeah. I'm sure you already knew that. Attractiveness, <laughs> on the other hand, does. And height. You know, those two things that people always wish they had. Um, I've never actually wanted to be taller and I'm not tall. I'm, I'm short or like lower average. But apparently for men, this is the thing for happiness. Attractiveness being that for women. Mm. Social skills are important, as apparently are heterosexual skills. Uh, and I'm not going to investigate quite what those are, nor why homosexual, bisexual, pansexual, asexual, autosexual, or demisexual skills have been left out. It's uh, knowing that the shot does not go on the back. <laughs> shot can go roughly... Look, <laughs> I've not too many of these parties where you eat food off people's bodies. But presumably it could just be off any part of the body if you're using them as a kind of human table. <laughs> using them as a human table then yes i suppose the back would probably make most sense exactly i'm just i'm just very much from the kind of ergonomic practical point of view <laughs> arranging an orgy so sue me um so the they, ikea so... orgy put slot a into <laughs> tab a into slot b that's already a tv tropes joke sadly most certainly um so they then say that a government improving all these things will make their people more happy a couple of fun sentences from the policy section to end. Anything that can be done to strengthen the institution of marriage seems desirable. Friendship is another important source of happiness, but there are many who lack friends because of their lack of social skills. So that's pretty passive aggressive. <laughs> I quite like the anything. No holds barred on ideas for making marriage stronger, guys. Just anything, <laughs> anything at all. Literally anything. Monkeys, whatever. Dr drugs, which is... A friend of mine is writing a book about what? How drugs can improve your marriage? Yep. How exciting! Which drugs? Uh, all the drugs, and ready things sorted. like that. Love drugs. Oh right, those drugs. Okay then. Mm. Um. So, <laughs> Ed, can you tell us something about Britain? Well, it's it's good that you end on uh, policy and stuff because that allows us to have a uh, because some of our UK listeners may remember that back in 2010, I believe, uh, the British government announced plans to carry out a household happiness survey up to four times a year. Uh, now, I can understand psychologists or sociologists or even economists wanting to know about levels of happiness in a population although as tim has kind of implied it's a pretty nebulous concept given the number of things that correlate with it and it's quite difficult to draw any implications about like processes from it but still i can understand why they'd want it when it comes to politicians getting their grubby little paws on this kind of data it unfortunately it really does kind of get my and apparently lots of other people's skepticism juices flowing um i think it's because it's it's too easy to imagine you know around election time a politician saying something like during our time in office we have seen a net increase in national happiness you know by 0.01 percent or something like that uh anyway the reason but, we haven't increased happiness is the huge burden of unhappiness left by the previous government yes <laughs> if you just, just replace deficit with unhappiness well basically well, any political issue you just replace that all the nouns in it the positive ones with happiness and the negative ones with unhappiness and it boils down to the same debate anyway um the results of the first survey actually have already come out and they're kind of mostly seemingly in line with stuff that tim said uh yeah. things like being married being employed leading to more life satisfaction um 
there were a couple of interesting findings, or at least there would have been a couple of interesting findings if the statistics were reported properly, which they absolutely weren't. Uh, For example, the uh, BBC article that I found on this survey reported that being healthy was also an important factor, but does not guarantee happiness, the survey suggests with 18% of those who reported good or very good health reporting low satisfaction with life overall, whilst 38% of those with bad health reported high or medium levels of satisfaction with life. Now, I tried to go through this and make some pithy comment about what those numbers actually mean, uh, but it's impossible to do that because they mean absolutely nothing. Uh, Technically, they do suggest that there is some amount of variance in subjective well-being that is not accounted for by self-reported levels of health, which is completely and utterly surprising and unexpected, said no one ever. Anyway, uh, I don't really know much about the survey, really. And, you know, maybe originally it did contain some solid data. Maybe it was analyzed properly by someone somewhere. uh, And it's entirely possible that, like, the kind of meaningless non-statistics that uh, were all the kind of filtered through to the media. Imagine of, if the media reported p-values or effect sizes. Well, exactly. Would that be amazing? It would be both amazing and uh, difficult for them because they'd have to explain complicated things like, you know, context or effect sizes. But anyway. Okay, so um, effect sizes may be as complicated, but p-value, just say, the p-value tells us whether this result was due to the thing that the scientists did or chance. Yeah. That's a sentence that is not like that complicated English, because I'm not that good at complicated English in my current state. <laughs> anyway, 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 that's all like un, un, uninteresting rambling. So what all this does lead to is a much more interesting psychological question, which is what if the very act of taking a happiness survey, what if this focus on happiness actually in doing so, influenced your level of happiness. Kind of a bit like the observer effect in particle physics, where, you know, observing an electron changes its behavior by poking it with a photon. In this metaphor, electrons are people, and photons are the oppressive weight of societal expectations. So, pretty apt, really. Uh, So, to the science. A researcher and presumably part-time action hero, Brock Bastian... (laughs) Whoa! What a name! (laughs) What a name! Uh, Brock Bastian and his team carried out a number of studies of uh, Australian and Japanese participants, uh, and they asked them to report their subjective well-being, as well as their experience of various emotions and their level of personal and societal expectations regarding those emotions. So not only how often do you feel sad, but also does feeling sad make you feel like a bad person? And do you think it's societally acceptable to feel sad? Those aren't direct quotes from the questions. It's just to give you an idea. Uh, They found that, as you might expect, experiencing more societal pressure to avoid negative emotions results in more more negative self-evaluations. It also uh, results in lower levels of subjective well-being. And this is a mediation effect. So uh, if society tells you it's bad to feel sad, then you do feel sad. And you're likely to see yourself as a bad person. And this seeing yourself as a bad person makes you feel less happy overall. Uh, Which is kind of sucky, really. Um, What they found was that levels of societal pressure against negative emotions are pretty high uh, in Australia in particular. They were significantly lower in Japan, which was a sample that they specifically selected because of the let there's a lower emphasis on uh, it's known that there's a lower emphasis on avoiding negative emotions and okay that shows how much i know about japan i thought of japan as quite like britain where it's kind of expected that you kind of you stay strong um but maybe that's just a complete misapprehension let me see i'll find the quote for you uh study one present research Uh, we chose Japan specifically as it is known to vary from Australia in the emphasis uh, because Japanese culture tends to de-emphasize the importance of positive feelings about the self. So it's kind of kind of the inverse, I guess. But anyway, okay. it's yeah. a legitimate reason for justifying it. Uh, and somehow, given that this is social psychological research, they managed to completely avoid explaining this effect in terms of collectivist versus individualistic culture, for which no they way. win my undying love and affection. 
Um, but wait, it actually gets better. Not only did they test for a mediation process in their correlational data, not only did they avoid tired cultural psychology cliches, not only does their primary researcher have a name that suggests he spends his spare time punching Nazis in the face on top of a sinking submarine whilst uttering one-liners like, that's a statistically significant chance of me kicking your ass. Not only all of those things. Sorry, my Arnie impression is pretty poor. It's a pr- it was a Rainier of Wolfcastle impression, wasn't it? <laughs> Let's say That's yes. what it sounded like. Uh, they, uh, not only did they do all these things, they even went on to do an experimental test of their hypothesis, uh, for which the only appropriate sound is... Um, been looking forward to using that one for a while. <laughs> yeah, we haven't had much to party about, apparently. Not yet. Uh, anyway, so they got their participants. Uh, they got a bunch of participants. They got them to report their mood. Bef- uh, this is their positive affect that Tim mentioned earlier. Uh, report their affect before and after reading texts. And the texts either were designed to increase or to decrease the social pressure to avoid negative emotions. Uh, in one experiment, experiment the texts were fake newspaper articles reporting research that ostensibly showed the contagious nature of negative emotions um, contrasted against one which showed that negative emotions don't really impact upon people around you uh, in the other it was a bit more direct uh, there were news articles about uh, reporting things like uh, people like sad people just as much as happy people and most people feel it's important that people are able to experience and express their negative emotions or People don't like sad people as much as happy people, and most people feel it's important that people don't always experience and express their negative emotions. Yeah. Uh, In both cases, as you'd expect, those in the high social expectation condition reported, again, experiencing more negative emotions after reading the article compared to those who read the low expectation piece. So kind of taking all this together, it seems pretty clear that social expectations about what emotions are acceptable in society can have a significant impact upon our emotional state and our well-being kind of by extension Uh, now obviously this is a few steps removed from proving that simply filling out a happiness survey will make you more depressed but given the uh, all this evidence this accumulated evidence that western culture pressures people to avoid negative feelings drawing attention to those feelings in a survey could well be expected to like exacerbate those effects I thought this was a really cool study. So there we go. Science. Speaking of ways that you can improve your well-being, sex. Now you've got everyone's attention back then. End of study. Meandering Brooke. (laughs) Oh, right. Really? (laughs) Uh, No. So uh, as we've discussed on the podcast before, all the best psychology, and, and in fact, on this very episode, all the best psychology is generated by taking a commonly used phrase or saying and applying it literally, usually to the brain of a monkey. Uh, <laughs> for example, we've also talked in the past about how about studies that show that money can, in fact, buy you happiness. However, those studies also showed that you can't buy happiness with a fixed amount of money. Rather, the cost of happiness is index-linked to the financial status of our peers. So having a million pounds alone does not make me happy, but knowing that everyone else doesn't have a million pounds gives me warm, fuzzy feelings all night long. Uh, Actually, it occurred to me that based on this evidence, the banking crisis begins to make a lot more sense. By, because by crippling the international economy while protecting their own ludicrous salaries, the cocaine-addled denizens of the financial sector have in fact created for them a kind of happiness farm, wherein the wealth, <laughs> like the wealth impaired, it's so med- horrible, <laughs> the wealth and impaired, so likely, ninety-nine percent provide an ironically rich, long-lasting, and above all renewable source of psychological gratification, <laughs> gratification for generations to come. And does that also explain why other banks have to also collapse during it? Because it's not quite <laughs> enough that the Polvos are poor. Exactly. They're not necessarily a comparison peer group. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, after that occurred to me, it also occurred to me that the same thing probably occurred to me last time we covered it. <laughs> uh, and the final thing that occurred to me was how difficult it, I find it to spell the word occurred. Like three different misspellings in the space of one sentence. Wow. 
Anyway, many notable psychologists have pointed out that money isn't the only thing that brings people happiness. Uh, other identifiable factors, some of which Tim have mentioned, include being healthy, being in loving marital relationships, having friends, and not being really, really ugly. Uh, as you can tell, all of these studies are currently in the running for the coveted Douglas Adams Reference Award for slowly and painfully working out the surprisingly obvious. However, if recent... And if you'd like to see the R-rated version of that joke... <laughs> Go to twitter.com slash teampsychomedia. I, I like to think the better version of that joke. Uh, the clean they... gone with uh, the Simpsons reference of Pug Fugly. Well, uh, Christina suggested Fugly, but I and I agree that it's a good word, but it doesn't have quite the same... You see, I think there's a tactile... internal contradiction between the two words that you used. That the one does not apply. Oh, it's not the about other. meaning. It's not about meaning. The the phrase from which "fugly" is contracted uh, has it's it's not about what they mean. It's about the the cadence, the the feel of the words as you say them. It's purely phonetic. Exactly. So you just need to find some other harsh sound. It's. I've played devil's advocate here. They're duck ugly. <laughs> <laughs> but ducks are kind of. Like lovable, they're not. They're um, not attractive. Oh no, they're not. Oh, oh no, they're not. Watch Zay Frank's video on true facts about the duck. And you oh no, I know that ducks are ducks horrifying. Love crafty nightmares. I'm just talking in terms of their appearance. You know, they're no swans, but they're not kind of hideous. Again, I would point you to the video when yeah, ducks out of mating season are quite cute. Anyway, uh, moving on. <laughs> okay then <laughs> if recent trends in television have taught me anything it's that there are at least two more major factors required for a happy and fulfilling life those being sex and serial murder of course what my favorite shows at the moment are dexter hannibal and game of thrones <laughs> you're saying that's some kind of restricted sample anyway Again, as I've mentioned before, it can sometimes be difficult to study the psychology of murder experimentally. So this week, I'm going to do the same thing we do every week, Pinky. Focus exclusively on sex. Uh, <laughs> it may not be in the text every week, but it's definitely <laughs> in the subtext. Uh, in the introduction to this week's paper, uh, the authors talk about an article by Blanche Flower and Oswald, which claims to be the first ever analysis of the relationship between frequency of sexual behavior and happiness. Uh, in which really? They, <laughs> apparently. In which they demonstrate that individuals of all ages, genders and education levels who engage in more frequent sexual behavior report higher levels of happiness than those who engage in sex less frequently. Now, obviously, this is just a correlation. And as we all know... We have a jingle. <laughs> yeah, so uh, welcome to uh, Christina, to the podcast. This is her first official contribution and her yeah. There will be many more. <laughs> Official being a key word. <laughs> um, yeah. So correlation does not equal causation. And I'm totally going to be playing that a lot from now on. Uh, the finding could be bidirectional. It could be that people who have more sex are happier. <laughs> or it could be that people who are happier have more sex. You know, maybe it turns out that the shiny happy people from the REM song are holding more than just hands. Now, today's study sadly doesn't do much to sort out the causation issue, much as I would like to see an experimental manipulation of sex-induced happiness. Uh, well, some people say that sex research that is done experimentally is what the Nazis would have done, but I disagree. <laughs> uh, I imagine it could be tricky to get past an ethics, ethics board, particularly if you insist upon having a fully randomised double-blind control procedure with experimental confederates, though it is true that some people are into that sort of thing. Uh, in fact, this study by Tim Wadsworth uh, uses exactly the same data as Blanche Flower and Oswald, uh, which is like a, a large national survey uh, sample, which lots of people apparently have access to. Uh, however, in this study, they didn't just consider participants' own sexual proclivities, but they also looked at those of their age and gender matched peers. So... Uh, the authors once again found a positive correlation between sexual frequency and happiness, but only up to a point. Specifically, 
as the fre frequency of your sexual encounters increase, you are more likely to report being very happy and less likely to report being not too happy. However, as soon as your sexual frequency reaches the Casanovian levels of about once a week, you cease to gain happiness. In fact, if you happen to have sex more, four or more times per week, your level of happiness actually starts to decrease. Uh, now, the authors are quick to point out that these data should be taken with a pinch of salt since they didn't control for potentially confounding factors. For example, I can think of at least maybe the kind of people who have sex four or more times a week are also more likely to be riddled with genital parasites. Uh, which okay. Some... I was thinking of a more philosophical kind of oblivionist outlook on life. but uh, You've clearly you know... never had genital parasites. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, these are significantly proven to decrease levels of self-reported happiness. Uh, although presumably the genital parasites would report increased levels of self-reported happiness. Who knows? We just don't have the data. Now, the interesting bit that includes almost zero genital parasites. They found that <laughs> perceived sexual frequency of your peer group correlates negatively with happiness. So... Just like with money, sex only makes you happy if you think you're having more of it than everyone else. Uh, now, actually, all their results really show is that sex frequency correlates with happiness and peer sex frequency correlates negatively with happiness. It's kind of in, it's kind of cool to imply that this sort of this kind of insecure mental state where sex and money only make us happy if we think we're having more than everyone else. But. Once again, these studies are a little bit unsatisfactory because they don't speak to the process by which this occurs and they, they there isn't kind of this interaction. They can't prove this interaction between uh, personal sex frequency and peer sex frequency. Uh, exactly. It could be a whole generation of just kind of um, promiscuous but velchmertsy people, couldn't they? Because <laughs> they haven't actually, they haven't done a subtraction here as far as I can tell. If no. it is your own exactly. minus perceived others exactly it's just comparing the one with the other and also so we don't know that the comparison is going on i don't know what i would think my peer group the amount of sex they're likely to be having and people so they don't do, talk they, about it do they they do actually mention civilized the idea society. of accuracy of those peer group ratings they suggested that some people probably do have a very good idea about how much sex others are having others don't Four years, out, i imagine well they point out that data on this is pretty readily available huh okay you know i i feel like you know the kind of cosmo probably tells you on a regular basis how much sex everyone else is having yes but they definitely lie about that well okay sure but uh so the the argument was that although some of their sample maybe didn't have as accurate as perception according to them it didn't matter as much it's just about how it's the, about the subjective level of peer group sexuality. yeah of course, of course but i mean there's a whole there's a whole host of interesting questions in there relating to accuracy and i guess yeah. this is what i find unsatisfactory about this is that as far as i'm concerned the process is the interesting part here why does uh feeling like you're having less sex than everyone else make you uh less happy i mean it intuitively makes sense but you know, you kind of need, to, as a psychologist, I feel the need to delineate this in, with labels and mediation analyses and experimental oh, sure, studies. Sure. Anyway, um, yeah, I would be really interested to find some experimental evidence on this. Uh, however, not interested enough to look for experimental evidence <laughs> for this whilst prepping the podcast. Uh, because also we have to leave some mysteries or we'll run out of episodes. Um, our, well, last, our lack of a academic rigor is one of our major sources of a lo longevity, I feel. Yep. Uh, so there you go. That, that's happiness. We have solved happiness. That's super. So, happiness. Things that make you happy. Health, wealth, melth, uh, nature, <laughs> humour, sex... Um, what Social expectations, don't, uh, relative kind of income, occupation, education, education, education. Uh, Being Japanese. Yes. How exciting. Um, some other things. Lots of things. All contribute to tiny amounts of variance each. So there's lots of ways you can try and be a little bit more happy. Uh, and I would like to end with a quote uh, from uh, one of my favourite blogs, which I will endeavour to find in just a moment 
which I've now lost, which is saddening me. Okay, well, while Ben it. looks for it, you can contact us. Social interaction will make you happy. Psychomedia.wordpress.com. It has comments. You can see other people's comments. You can read your own, and there's pictures and videos and links. Um, Facebook.com slash That is where you'll find the quotes that I meant to finish on, which I neglected to include in the show notes. Uh, right. We'll be there. And has offered. It will be there. Um, so, yeah, uh, twitter.com slash team psychomedia for uncensored psychomedia after dark. Um, I don't know why I went for a spooky voice rather than a salacious one. Anyway, just, like more plentiful F bombs. And uh, the email account psychomediapodcast at gmail.com and just any other social network. Just talk about us. We like being talked about. Tell your friends. If you're on- if you're on a social network that we're not on, make a page for us on the social network. Pretend Invite to be us. us. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, I could find my Diaspora account and put something on there. <laughs> I think it may have closed. I don't know. Anyway, so yeah, do all of those things. Um, and uh, we'll try and make you happy again in a fortnight's time. Bye for now. Bye bye. Come in. Ah, good morning, Jenkins. Uh, morning, sir. Uh, we have the results of the Office for National Statistics Wellbeing and Happiness Survey, if you'd like to look over them. Ah, jolly good. So, what's making our nation happy? Oh, wait, no, no, no. Let me guess. Uh, employment. Uh, no, sir. Oh, well, I, I suppose that makes sense. Not everyone gets to claim a second home full of prostitutes and cocaine on expenses now, do they? Uh, no, sir. Actually, I-, I was meaning to talk to you about that. No, no, no. One one thing at a time, Jenkins. So, not employment. What about income? Uh, no, sir. Uh, though apparently there-, there may have been a wording issue with that one. Ah, how do you mean? Well, the question read, how much money do you make per year? Ah, I see the problem. Yes, yes. It should have read, how much more money do you make per year than your nearest age and class match acquaintance? We're going to edit that one in the next survey. Mm, Well, it's pretty obvious if you ask me. Okay, not work, not income. Uh, What about health? Got to be healthy to be happy, right, eh? Uh, Actually, no. Uh, That one surprised quite a lot of the sociologists. Not health either, eh? Well, that could play rather well with our NHS reform bill, actually. Well, Jenkins, I'm stumped. Go on, then tell me, what can we as savvy on-the-button up-to-the-minute politicians do to make the great British public happy? Um, well, it's actually a little troubling, sir. Troubling? What the blazes do you mean, Jenkins? Well, sir, it it seems that the great British public responded overwhelmingly that what would make them most happy is if all politicians were forced to fight in some sort of one-on-one gladiatorial combat with... Well, with an angry bear. What? An angry bear? Oh, sorry, sorry, sir. Um, uh, an especially angry bear, yeah. But, 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 but that's ridiculous. What on earth made them say that? I know, sir. It wasn't even one of the options. No one seems to know how it's happened, but, well, um... But what? Well, the stats don't lie, sir. We've never seen such big percentages. Really? That big, were they? Enormous, sir. Do we even have a bear? Actually, yes, sir. We keep it in the House of Lords. It's actually one of the more active members. In fact, um, uh, let me see. Yes, here we go. Uh, The bear actually supported your national footpath renovation bill last October. Oh, it did? Well, I suppose that should give me a bit of an advantage if we did implement this, um, uh, 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 bear-based oversight committee. Oh, nice one, sir. I'll, I'll make a note of that. Uh, what does, uh, PM think about all this? Oh, he's all for it, sir. Apparently, uh, Channel 4 is interested in televising the process for their new Real Politics series. Well, I suppose we'd better toe the party line, then. With the general election coming up and all, I mean, it's only a bear, I mean... Uh... Yes, sir? Well, it can't be worse than Paxman.